Well, as we continue in worship this morning, we're looking at First uh, Peter chapter 1 still. We're in verses 8 and 9 uh, this morning in particular. And uh, this is one of those passages that I do feel just a, a special weight uh, to preach upon in my own uh, training in the Christian faith, in my own training in theology. First uh, Peter 1 verse 8 in particular uh, played a really significant role. Um, there's a famous theologian uh, named Jonathan Edwards. He's an American theologian, and he wrote a, a thick book called The Religious Affections, where he's trying to uh, basically define for us what is um, authentic Christianity, uh, what, what is a true mark of salvation versus what are false marks of salvation. And one of the verses that he depends upon most in that book is uh, 1 Peter 1.8, because it talks about rejoicing in Jesus Christ with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And this, Edward says, is the heart, is the essence of genuine faith in God. And so as I came to these verses this morning, I knew that they would have a a special significance, a special burden to proclaim them well. And so I would even appreciate your prayers for me as I'm preaching, that I might do these verses justice. The other verses that we'll be looking at also reflect this theme of having joy in God or delighting in God. And so after Sam come and reads for us uh, from 1 Peter, Don will come and read for us uh, from Philippians 3, 7 and 8, which is Paul's expression, the Apostle Paul's expression of delight in God. Then Christy will come and read for us from Psalm 84. Uh, Well, she will read Psalm 84, not just from Psalm 84. Uh, There are many psalms that express uh, just delight in the Lord, and Psalm 84 is one of the the good ones that expresses delight in the Lord. And so we'll read that together, and I just encourage you to kind of absorb those words of delight in the Lord that we see in Psalm 84. And then lastly, Abby will come and read for us uh, Matthew 13, 44, that uh, speaks of something of the response that ought to come from our hearts when we truly do uh, delight in the Lord. And so with that, uh, Sam, I'll go ahead and invite you to come forward and begin our reading uh, from 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Philippians 3, 7, and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways of Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. 
O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold your shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Well, if you don't have uh, your Bible already open to 1 Peter 1, feel free to open it there now. Again, we're looking at verses 8 and 9. Let me just reread verse 8. And um, in all likelihood, we're not going to touch very much on verse 9 this morning. We really have enough uh, in verse 8 to chew on. So apologies in advance if you were really looking forward to hearing about verse 9. But verse 8, let me uh, read that for us uh, once more. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You rejoice. Notice those words. Rejoice, present tense, with joy. What kind of joy? Joy that is inexpressible and filled with with glory. Beloved, I'm eager to, to preach to you this morning. Indeed, in some way, you could say I'm eager to preach to you every week because this is what you get to offer when you proclaim the glories of Christ. You get to offer joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Those words mean exactly what they sound like they mean. This is a good translation of the original Greek. Joy inexpressible. Inexpressible just means it is something that is beyond words, right? It is something that is too good to fully articulate with mere human language. And then full of glory or glorious. If you're like me, then whenever you hear that word glory, then the first thing that does come to your mind is just God himself, right? What is more glorious than God? What is more amazing than God? And this is saying that the joy that we get to experience today, the joy that we get to taste today, has something of that glory, has something of the glory of God himself in it. We get to experience joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. If you were to consider me a salesman, and in some way you could consider me a salesman, right? Because I'm trying to sell you and everyone on the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you were to consider me a salesman, consider the fact that my product that I'm selling, the joy that I offer through the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the best product that has ever been invented, that has ever come to market, that anyone anywhere in the world will ever receive at any time, past, present, or future. Beloved, the joy that is offered us in knowing God, in knowing Jesus Christ, is better than any other joy you could ever experience. Now, I know this is 
hard for us to believe. I know it is very difficult for us to believe. It's probably all the more difficult for us to believe because of where we live, because we're here in the United States, and we have, you know, new TV series coming out every week that are just amazing. You know, the kids have new toys that are coming out every month that are just amazing. There's always some new product, you know, being brandished across our TV screens that just promises that it's going to make us feel better, that's going to fill up our lives, you know, in whatever way we feel like we're lacking. And so we see just item after item after item that promises us joy, that promises us fullness, that promises us just some kind of better life. And yet again, beloved, I will guarantee you, I will stake it on my life, that there is nothing else in this world that will offer you joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. There is only one place to find that kind of joy. And that joy does not depend upon your circumstances. It does not depend upon how much money you have. It does not depend upon where you live. It does not depend upon how old you are or how educated you are or what color you are or anything else. All it depends on is whether or not you know Jesus Christ. And scripture itself tells us, history tells us, that you can know Jesus Christ whether you are rotting in a prison cell or whether you are living in an ivory tower. God is never too distant from you that you cannot experience the joy that he has to offer you. And so we have reason to rejoice all the time, beloved. Because there is nothing that needs to separate us from the joy of knowing the God of our salvation. In fact, for many centuries, for millennia even, there was something that separated us from knowing this God, right? From receiving this joy. That thing that did separate us from knowing God, from receiving this joy, was our sinfulness, was it not? When we commit sin... When we do evil deeds, when we delve into darkness, we are separating ourselves, we are moving ourselves away from the God who is life and joy and light and peace and everything that is good. We are setting up a barrier between ourselves and God, between ourselves and joy and true life. And of course, we never think of it that way at the moment, do we? We always think that when we're going down the path to sin, that's where true joy lies. That's where true pleasure lies, true fulfillment lies. And yet, even though that's what we might tell ourselves, even though that's what we might like to think, the reality is that as we delve into sin, we are separating ourselves from any genuine and lasting joy. And again, beloved, that was the only thing that could actually separate us from the love of God, that could separate us from the joy of God. And praise be to God that he did something about that, did he not? He sent his son in the flesh to take the penalty for all of our sins, to die for all of our sins once for all, so that we now don't need to experience anymore the punishment for our sins. So now we have this reality where even our sins themselves cannot separate us from the love of God, cannot separate us from knowing the God who is goodness and beauty and joy itself. And so, beloved, my plea to you here this morning, just like my plea to all people, is come to know this God. There is no failure possible in it. The more you give yourself to God, the more joy you will know, the more life you will know. In everything else in this world, you need to practice some level of moderation, right? 
Even in the good things that we do, you need to practice some level of moderation, right? Even good things like, you know, brushing your teeth or eating healthy foods. You can't do that all the time. Otherwise, you would ruin your teeth and you would ruin your health. You have to practice moderation in what you eat and how much you brush. Even, even the most innocent things, we need moderation. Beloved, there is only one thing in this whole planet, in all of existence, that we do not need any moderation on. And that one thing is knowing God. Loving God and pursuing God. We don't need to put any kind of governor on how near we come to him, on how much time we spend with him, on how much we invest for his causes, for his purposes, on how much we live for him. The more we know him, the more we give ourselves to him, the more we delve into the reality of his mercy and his goodness, the more happy we will be. Again, regardless of whether we're poor or rich or whatever our condition may be, the more we know the Lord, the more we know goodness and joy and wonder. And so I just beg you this morning, beloved, to give yourself, give your whole life to knowing this Lord. You will not regret it in the least. You will not regret one moment that you spend striving to know the Lord more nearly. No, it won't always be easy in the moment. It won't always be especially pleasant in the moment. But every step that you take toward the Lord will yield fruit for all eternity and joy and peace and life. And yes, I believe that even today we can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That verb to rejoice there in verse 8 is a present tense verse. And remember that the Apostle Peter is writing here to people who are suffering a great deal, to people who are being ostracized for their faith in numerous ways. As we keep going through the letter of 1 Peter, we're going to read about some of the trials that these people are facing. And yet Peter does not say to these people that someday you will rejoice that you know the Lord Jesus Christ. No, he's saying that today, because you know him, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Notice how the Apostle Peter sets up that phrase, that you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. So notice firstly from those words that again, what is immediately in view with this rejoicing we have and joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory relates directly to our knowledge of Jesus Christ, our relationship with him. When it says, though you have not seen him, you love him, that him is referring to Jesus Christ. We have not seen him and yet we love him. And so it's in that loving of him that we get this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. So it's through this believing in him that we get this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And so if you want to know how do I get that joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, we are given two very plain answers in this verse. One, you must love him. And number two, you must believe in him. Now again, in our Modern culture today, especially, it's a very visual culture. Again, we have many movies and TVs and pictures and all of these things. It's very easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that if we cannot have some kind of visual representation of Jesus Christ, then it's somehow more difficult to love him, right? 
That's what this verse is expressing more or less, is it not? That though you have not seen him and though you do not now see him. And so we think that that maybe presents some kind of challenge for us. That, well, we we cannot see him and so how am I supposed to really love him? How am I supposed to really believe in him? Sometimes it's easy for us to think that we can only really love someone that we can see, or we can only really love someone where we can get to know their their characteristics and their looks and their reactions to various things. And yet, beloved, in the Word of God, God's Word has given us enough to be able to know, to see, to believe in, to love Jesus Christ. Indeed, if anything, What scripture teaches us, especially in the gospels when Jesus was walking this earth, is it was actually more difficult for those who could see him to believe in him than perhaps it is for us today. I mean, do you really think that if you were there before the cross of Christ, if you were there at Golgotha seeing Jesus hanging crucified before you, do you think that there your faith would be inspired in Jesus Christ? that there you would see a criminal hanging upon the cross and that you would say in that moment, truly, this is the Son of God? No, we look at the mass of mankind and how they responded to Christ in that moment. Indeed, we see his own disciples, how they responded to Christ in that moment. And what did they do? What did Peter himself do, the one who wrote this letter? What did he do after Christ was crucified upon that cross? He ran away. And when somebody asked him, well, didn't you know this man? Peter said, no, I did not know him. Peter rejected him, even though he had seen Jesus, even though he saw Jesus crucified. He saw him beaten. He saw him hung up. He didn't believe in him. Jesus said that those who knew him best, those in his own hometown, that it was harder for them to believe than it was for anyone else because a prophet is not received in his own town. And so don't give in to this fallacy that somehow I must be able to visually see Jesus Christ. I must meet him in person if he is someone that I'm really going to love, if he's someone that I'm really going to believe. No, beloved, today we have the privilege not only of having the word of God itself, but we have the privilege of having the Holy Spirit sent to us so that the very spirit of Jesus Christ can be nearer to us than even Jesus Christ in the flesh. Jesus said that it was to our benefit that he go away and he send his spirit to us because through the spirit of God, we can come to know Jesus Christ better than we ever could before. And so, beloved, we have every privilege right now to come and to know Jesus Christ. And so I'm sure that some of you will ask, well, how is it then that I really can come to know Jesus Christ in this kind of personal way? How is it that I can come to love Jesus Christ the way that this passage tells me that I can love Jesus Christ? And my very simple answer to you, beloved, is through the Word of God. That is how we come to know Jesus Christ. That is how we come to see Jesus Christ. And yet, not every reading of the Word of God will naturally lend itself to knowing Jesus Christ. Indeed, when you go to seminary, you you learn this lesson painfully, obviously. There's a whole secular society called the Society of Biblical Literature that has thousands of scholars from across the world who've given their lives to studying the original text of the Bible. And yet, almost all of them are entirely unchanged. 
Almost all of them reject the actual deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost none of them truly believe what these words speak. And so how is it that we should come to the Bible in such a way that we will actually come to know Jesus Christ instead of coming to the Bible and simply having our hearts unchanged or hardened? Well, the main thing that I would advocate to you, beloved, is just that when you come to the Scriptures, consider that these are the words of God spoken to you. Consider that these are the words of God spoken to you. In other words, this is not just some historical document. This isn't just some recording of things that happened in ancient Israel that maybe we should know about today. No, there is a personal God who is sitting on his throne even now, looking down on our worship, even now, who's being worshipped by angels, even now. There is a personal God who has made himself known in Jesus Christ. And the way that he makes Jesus Christ himself known is through giving us these words. And and so it is through embracing these words, delving into these words, that we can come to know Jesus Christ. One kind of simple way to conceptualize this is to think of reading the Bible not for information, but for intimacy. Don't read the Bible for information, but for intimacy. Sometimes, again, even especially actually when you're in seminary or maybe when I'm, I'm studying this to prepare some kind of lesson, it would be easy for me to enter into God's word and read a sentence and then just, you know, ask a lot of questions about, oh, what does this word mean? What does this word mean? What does this word mean? And at the end of the day, if I come to like a, a more clear understanding of, of what all those words mean and what the meaning of that sentence is and the meaning of that paragraph is, that somehow just through that I have come into communion or come into union with God. And it's true that maybe that has happened, But the reality is that if the whole mode of my heart in all my study, if the whole mode of my head in all of my study has simply been, what information does this hold for me? What what new thing might this teach me? If that's been my whole mode in approaching God's word, then I have missed a great deal of God's word. The first question for us to ask when we approach God's word is not merely what information does this have? What is it going to teach me? But the first mode of heart with which we should come to God's word is to simply say, Lord, I believe that this is your word and I want to hear you speak to me. Would you please just speak? And so we just read and we say, Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, reveal. Holy Spirit, let me learn deep in my bones what what you're saying here. I don't just want information. I don't just want understanding. I don't want this to be an intellectual exercise. I want to hear you speak to me. And if I want to hear you speak to me, there is only one place to go. There is only one place. And that place is the Bible, the Word of God. And so when we come to the Bible, we come to the Bible expectantly. We come to the Bible as if this Bible itself is alive, as if this Bible itself is showing us who God is, how much he loves us, and believing that he really can make himself known in, this word, in his word. Beloved, there are no greater times of intimacy that I had with the Lord than times where I spent just kind of slowly reading through his word. 
Like it's a really good book that I just kind of want to get familiar with. It's through those times in God's word, through those extended times in God's word, when I feel myself most growing in my knowledge of God and who he is, of how he loves me. And I really do feel that I'm coming to know a person. That I'm not just interacting with the pages of a book. I'm not just interacting with an idea that needs to be analyzed and understood. No, I'm coming into relationship with a person who is expressing himself to me on the pages of his word. Some of the passages that most clearly show this to me are the Psalms. The Psalms were obviously written before the incarnation of Jesus, right? And so in that sense, the Psalms couldn't really speak to us about uh, seeing the, the person of Jesus Christ. But the Psalms, nevertheless, speak much of intimacy with God. Even though they don't speak of coming to know the person of Jesus, they speak much of intimacy with God, of knowing God more nearly than in some cases I believe I've experienced yet. And so let me just point you to a couple of those pages and let me just show you how the psalmist himself comes to speak of how to know joy in God, how to know intimacy with God. Psalm 63 is a very famous and popular psalm that speaks of this uh, intimacy with God. It begins with the words, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Your steadfast love is better than life. So it has these amazing words of longing for God. And notice that in those words, it is speaking of God personally, is it not? He's saying, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. So he's speaking to God personally. He's not simply saying, my soul thirsts for your word. My soul thirsts for your law, for the Bible. No, he's saying, my soul thirsts for you. So he is speaking of this very personal relationship that he has with God. And then toward the end of the psalm, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, he's speaking of this wonderful satisfaction, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips, and how will this happen? He says, when I remember you upon my bed, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. When I remember you upon my bed, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. In other words, he is doing cognitive exercise, right? He's doing remembering work. He's doing meditating work. He's thinking over things. And what things could he be thinking over that's leading him to this amazing communion with God? Except the word of God. He is thinking of the words that he has read in this book. He is remembering them. He is meditating on them. But again, he's not remembering them and meditating on them as just, you know, interesting passages that might be good for him to know. No, he's remembering them and meditating upon them as God's spoken word to him. And so he is using the word of God. He's remembering the word of God, meditating on the word of God in order to be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Or, The longest chapter in all the Bible, Psalm 119. I don't know how familiar you are with Psalm 119, but I would say if if you're not really familiar with Psalm 119, you must go home and read it today. It's an amazing chapter of the Bible. Psalm 119 is an acrostic where the psalmist goes from the Hebrew equivalent of A to Z. 
And he has seven stanzas for each letter of the alphabet where he's praising God's word, where he's praising God's law. And a lot of those stanzas talk a lot about his delight in God and his delight in God's word. So again, just a sampling. I'm not going to give you the verse numbers for these, but these all come from Psalm 119. The psalmist says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. In the way of your testimonies. In other words, the things that are written down, the testimonies of God's work that are written down for us in his word. He delights in those as much as in all riches. He says, I will delight in your statutes. Statutes just being another word for law, right? The, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. Those books right there are the law of God, the statutes of God. So he's saying that I will delight in your statutes. He says, your testimonies are my delight. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Does that ring a bell to First Peter? Joy inexpressible and filled with glory? The psalmist is experiencing this union with God that he's saying is even more amazing than all the riches that I could ever possess. And he is coming to relate to God in that way through the law of your mouth. Indeed, I believe this is a lot of the significance between John 1 telling us that Jesus is the word of God made flesh. That all of these words we see in the Psalms, God's testimonies, his statutes, his commandments, his law, all of these things are various ways of phrasing the word of God, the Bible. They're just different synonyms for the same idea. They're all talking about the word of God. And then who became the word of God for us except Jesus Christ? So all these words, when I read Psalm 119, I I read these words like the way of your testimonies or your statutes or your commandments or your law. Every time there, and I, I know maybe there's more nuance to this, but one good way to read it is just to insert Jesus into those spots. I delight as much as in all riches. He is my delight. Better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That's who Jesus has become to me through the word of God, through the law of God. Now, Psalm 119, I think, even gets more practical again. And how do we come to know God in this intimate way? Listen to what he says here. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all all the day. Again, beloved, do you want to experience joy inexpressible and filled with glory? Do you want to experience that nearness to Jesus Christ? Then strive after this. Let the word of God be your meditation all the day. If the word of God is your meditation all the day, if the words that God has spoken are what fill your mind, fill your heart, morning, noon, and night, I promise you that you will experience more joy in that lifestyle than any other way. Again, it may not sound as pleasant or as pleasurable as you know going to a theme park and riding a roller coaster or binge-watching the newest show or 
going on a shopping spree and buying everything you ever wanted. You know, all of those things sound really thrilling, right? Meditating on the law of the Lord day and night, maybe uh, it doesn't sound quite as thrilling. But beloved, there is someone behind these words. The God of heaven and earth, the God of all creation, the God who made you, the God who knows you better than anything else, anyone else, he is behind these words. And he created you precisely to be satisfied in him. Genesis 1 tells us that we are created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. And if we are created in the image of God, what else can that mean except that we will find our greatest fulfillment, we will find our greatest meaning, we will find our greatest delight in becoming more like God or in coming near to God because it's in his very image that we were made in the first place. Beloved, just in principle, there can be nothing better for us as human beings than to know God because there is nothing else that created us as we are, nothing else that knows us as we are. And so the more near we come to God, the more near we come to joy, life itself. Carrying on in Psalm 119 a little more. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Again, he's given this metaphor of right silver and gold, God being better than that. Now he gives this metaphor of honey, God being better than that. But again, how does he know God is sweeter than honey? He says, your words. How sweet are your words to my taste? It's through God's word that we taste the sweetness of knowing God. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. And then the psalm ends, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Beloved, have you experienced that kind of panting? Have you experienced that kind of longing to know the Lord, to know his word? Again, beloved, there is nothing better in all of life than to know this word. Again, as we opened our service this morning, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Beloved, if you have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then you have been living in willpower religion. And you have been living in emptiness and desperation. You may have been trying to conform to Christian ways of behavior. You may have been trying to attend church because you know it's the right thing to do. You may have been trying to to keep God's law just because you don't want to be condemned. But if you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you've never been able to say from your own mouth, from your own heart, he is sweeter than honey. He is better than all the gold on this earth. If you've never been able to say that, then you have never known God, beloved. You've never known the very power by which we are to live our lives today. Again, as we read in Matthew, coming to the kingdom of God, coming to know God in the gospel is like that treasure that is hidden in the field, that the treasure is so wonderful that you sell everything and buy that field. You don't sell everything because it's some great sacrifice, because it's some great obligation, because the Lord expects you to do it. He demands it. No. You do it because you found a treasure. And who wouldn't want a treasure? And so when we come to the Lord, we must pray daily, sometimes moment by moment, Lord, let me taste and see that you are good. 
Now, we're all going to go through what some people call a dark night of the soul, right? We're all going to go through some stretches of life where the Lord does just seem more distant, where it seems like we can't taste him as we would like to taste him. We don't know the joy of our salvation as much as we would like to know the joy of our salvation. There will be difficult times where, yes, we will have to walk through darkness, But beloved, even in the midst of those difficult times, the answer is not to just kind of throw up our arms and be like, well, I guess God doesn't want me to be happy. Or, well, I guess God doesn't want to be near to me. I guess I just have to learn how to live by duty. I guess I have to learn to live by obligation. This is just how it's going to be. No, open your mouth and pant. Say, Lord, I need you back. I need your nearness. I need your intimacy with me if I am to live for you in any way. If I am to be able to testify of your goodness, of your glory, do not give up on tasting of the goodness of the Lord. If you give up on that, you give up on life itself. And so continue to pursue the Lord. Continue to pursue knowing the Lord as the psalmist knew him. Again, as the psalmist of Psalm 63 or the psalmist of Psalm 119, continue to pursue knowing the Lord in that way. Continue to pursue knowing the Lord as Peter knew the Lord, as as those to whom he wrote knew the Lord, who even in the midst of suffering rejoiced with joy that was inexpressible and filled with glory. Beloved, if we could be a church where each one of us rejoiced with joy that was inexpressible and filled with glory, I am pretty sure that the whole city of Pittsburgh would clamor to get inside these doors. Because again, that's what every human being wants. We all want joy, we all want happiness. It's just most people don't know where to find it. Most people go down dead end after dead end after dead end. And if they could find someone who truly had joy inexpressible and filled with glory and could tell them, this is where you find it. Oh, life transformed forever. And so my prayer daily for myself, my prayer daily for you is that you would know joy inexpressible filled with glory. Because when you know that joy You obviously get, on the one hand, joy, right? You get the joy for yourself. You get to feel happy because you know God. The word blessed that we saw all over Psalm 84, the word blessed just means happy. Happy is the one who dwells in your courts. So you get to be happy. But again, not only do you get to be happy, but you get to be used of God in a thousand different ways because your life out of the joy of knowing God, is now 180 degrees different than the life of those who find joy in the world. Because you no longer need to hold on to earthly possessions to make yourself happy. You no longer need to please people to make yourself happy. You no longer need anything this world has to offer to be happy. You are happy because you know God in Jesus Christ. Because though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Because you do that, you have joy. You are the most liberated person in all the earth. And being the most liberated person in all the earth, you are able to go forth in a radical way, living for God out of joy, making a difference for his kingdom everywhere you go. And so my prayer, again, is that we would be that sort of people. People with kingdom joy, gospel joy, the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And again, if we're going to be a people that have that joy of knowing Jesus Christ, we must be people of God's word. We must devote ourselves to it, morning, noon, and night, finding ways to dig our heels deep into God's word, 
so that we can know him as he longs for us to know him. Beloved, God loves you. He has demonstrated that through sending his son to die for you. He wants you to know him intimately. He doesn't just want some casual friendship with you. He wants you to be one with him. He wants you to have joy inexpressible and filled with glory. Would you come to him this morning, beloved? Would you come to God in his word? Would you come to God in Jesus Christ? Beholding him, what he's done for you. And in doing that, would you find joy that satisfies your soul to overflow now and forever? Would you join me in prayer now as we pray for our own church and as we pray for the world around us? Heavenly Father, you are so good, Lord, to have given us the gift of yourself. Lord, I am sure that there is nothing better that you could have given than to give yourself. To give your own son, not merely for our salvation, but for our our intimacy with you, our knowledge of you, both now and forever. And so God, I pray that you would help each of us here to know the sweetness of that communion, to know the sweetness of that fellowship, to know you as being better, worth more than everything on this earth. Lord, would you now just hear our words of prayer as we unburden our hearts to you and as we intercede for the nations around us.